This episode is one we've talked about literally for years, but it hasn't felt right until now. Over the past nearly four years, Neil has walked a difficult path through grief and trauma of losing his only full living brother to a homicide in January of 2019. The past couple of years have been especially difficult as he's tried to work through and cope with the anger part of grief, but has recently really found more closure and truly readiness to forgive. So that's what we're talking about today, the journey of finding and offering forgiveness to those who have wronged us and how Neil was able to get there. We're also talking about how this can apply to anyone's life circumstances, even if there's not a situation in your life that demands the same level of forgiveness, and how offering forgiveness is ultimately a gift to yourself. So today we were trying to figure out what we were going to talk about for this week's podcast episode, and we kept throwing around different topics and I I was pretty sure we were going to do one. We'll probably come back to it at some point because I'm now this sports enthusiast, newly found hobby of mine. And I have thoughts about the Utah Jazz after studying their season so far. But for some reason, we kept trying and nothing was coming together. It was like we just kept hitting a wall and you called it a stupor of thought, right? I did. Called it a stupor of thought, Yes. And this has happened before with us in the podcast where we'll try to go with a certain topic or something and it just isn't coming together. And then we figure out why. As we kept talking tonight, we finally kind of came to the conclusion that we needed to share, you know, what's what your like spiritual and internal journey has been through kind of a process of finding healing and forgiveness with what happened to your brother. So For anyone who, if you want to hear the whole story, you can go back to our very first podcast episode ever where we kind of tell the story of how Neil's brother Dave passed away almost four, it will be four years ago in January. But if you don't have time to go listen to that, basically in a nutshell, he was a realtor. He owned several investment properties and rental properties and he went to evict a tenant and was shot and killed and... So it's been, I mean, if you had told me back four years ago that it would take this long for things to resolve, I would have been in disbelief. I mean, they told us it would take a long time, but in my mind, a long time was like a year, maybe at the most, not four. And that part of that was COVID and the court systems getting really backed up. But anyway, we kind of went through, we talked about this pre- podcast recording too. We went through, Neil went through really the, a lot of the typical stages of grief where I felt like that first year you were kind of dealing with just being in shock or denial or, I mean, what do you remember about the first year of like your feelings? Not a ton, honestly. Just other than just feeling so, I don't even know, disconnected or it's such a haze thinking or looking back. I think initially it was kind of like a, I think you're carried for a while. Like you're, we were talking about this, like you're, you're almost protected from the trauma of the situation for a long time. So you really feel like you're being carried for a long time, but after a while that does wear off. And then I think the questions start to arise and I think it was hard not to really obsess about what happened or how it happened or, um, 
to kind of get sucked in mentally into obsessing about that. And then I, I think it takes a while. I think it's kind of like a delayed reaction to the grief. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like you stop a boat and then you just kind of, then the wake catches up to you and, and rushes over the boat. Like that type of a deal to where suddenly you start feeling different emotions and all of this starts coming up once you're maybe in full recognition of the loss and of, of the situation. So I just remember that it was like the holidays that kind of brought that on. And so that's it's probably really timely, too, that we felt inspired to share this because I do think that sometimes these things can kind of come to the surface, like past relationships or family things or experiences that people have. And for whatever reason, I think some of, some of that can kind of surface during the holidays, which is ironic. I know in our 12-step meetings that we've gone to for years, people tend to really struggle during the holidays. And that's where I remember it kind of starting where some of like your internal struggle with anger and grief started to happen. Like you said, you started stewing and obsessing. And so talk to me about the progression of what that looked like at first for the first year, year and a half or whatever of, of that struggle. Like internally, what did it feel like for you? I think just that, I think trying to, for, there's just this phenomenon I felt like happened and, and I've had this happen before, like in, when there's a major situation or trauma in life, like immediately my mind just started trying to go to like understanding, like trying to figure out or understand or make sense of or comprehend. And it's just a tough situation because there's the majority of it is unknown you don't know and you kind of like a lot of it you'll never know and so it's it's impossible for your mind to get there and to figure it out a lot of the frustration then becomes in trying to develop these ideas or theories of what happened and why and and attach meaning but then on the flip side it's like these powerful spiritual experiences where it's like feel so close to that person, I felt like Dave was with me and is with me like all the time and having these like really profound spiritual experiences and, and just feelings of peace intermixed with these challenging moments and trying to figure things out mentally and frustration or anger, sadness. I think a lot of just weird emotions came up that I didn't really understand would be there. I just remember running into a someone and this was right after it happened to someone from our our church and he was like hey how are you doing like and i gave him i just was like i don't know that i'm ever gonna be happy like ever again (laughs) like i i really felt like that and for a long time i felt like that and i'd heard people talk about it and i don't mean this in an insensitive way but surprising to me a little bit because you had lost a brother before so this wasn't necessarily like a brand new experience for you yeah so that's a little bit surprising to me, but was it just because like as an adult or you were really close to Dave or the way he died or what do you think? I think well, I think all of the All above. of the things, yeah. And I guess it compounded it for sure. Just having lost a brother, it was two, bro- like I, I say full brothers or real brothers. I mean, all my brothers are brothers, but I've got three half brothers and then I had two, have two real brothers. And my oldest real brother, Steve, was the one that died by suicide when I was 12. And then Dave, we got really close and he was kind of like my mentor, everything in in terms of a brother that I was really close to. 
So once he was the closest was, family member for you too, yeah. for sure. So once that was that physical relationship was no longer like earthly relationship was no longer there. I think it was really tough that way. Well, from an outsider's perspective, I feel like I saw depression and sadness that first year intermixed with the shock. And but but I really watched you go through a period of sadness. And I kind of thought that was going to be the extension of grief, however long it lasted. But that was that was that. And then when the anger came up, that was a whole new side of you that I had never seen. And I remember when you would describe to me how, and we've had, we had an episode on bullying. So we've already told this story about how you were a bully in like middle school. And I just never believed it. I was always like, really, this is so hard for me to picture until you went through that. And then I was like, oh, okay. I see, I see the angry side. I Now I understand how you were dealing with anger after Steve died. And that came up again after Dave died. And it was a dark period for our family and our marriage. And I think what I think is a very interesting common thread between a lot of this is control. And I think that for you, I think you kind of were feeling and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like from listening to you describe this and talking through it so many times that you felt like if you could control knowing enough or understanding enough, then you could kind of take back some some control of what happened or something. And then I kind of slipped back into a lot of codependent ways where I was like always worried about asking you, what are you doing? Or how are you feeling? Or what's going on? And and I started to feel almost like I was managing your grief in the same way that I once tried to manage your addiction. Then finally reached a point, it took me a long time, but maybe a year and a half into that where I was like, this isn't healthy for me to be trying to make sure I'm managing your feelings when I really can't control how you feel. And then realizing that your process was just going to be your process, whatever that was. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's important to kind of talk through this is so that there's some context to what we're going to talk about today. But from your perspective, what did that, because I mean, I know you and I know that you value peace more than anything else. So it was very weird for me suddenly in, you know, 10-ish, whatever, 11-ish years into our relationship um, to see this like angry or agitated side of you coming out that I had never seen before when usually that's the exact opposite of what you value and what you want in life. So for you internally, I guess, where was the struggle? Because I know that you didn't enjoy being in that spot or it wasn't like you were probably feeling like you were choosing to be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think one thing I learned was is anger is a secondary emotion. So it's like the grief is there and it comes from a place of hurt. Like I'm just, I'm being, I'm hurt. It's kind of like the, the animal that's injured and you go to help it and it's like attacking you. It's kind of that type of response where it's like, there's so much hurt there. It just was so raw and such a tender emotional 
insult, you know, or, or damage that I just couldn't even, I think the only way that it came out was, was sideways really. And it's hard because in the moment I didn't even see it. I'm just like, no, it's about this. It's about whatever situation, whatever the frustration was in the moment. But really underneath that, it's like you just displace, you just displace those emotions on people around you. And it's hard because you can't even see it. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot. And I think just everything rises to the surface, like all of this emotion kind of rises to the surface and, and it's challenging and, and you have to like, it just took working with that, all of those emotions that are, that surfaced in the, in that situation. My therapist explained this to me in a way one time that really helped me where I would I would go to you and be like, I think this is just grief. I think you're just really not yourself. And and then that would make you even more mad. And she explained it to me like this, like, Corinne, have you, have you ever been a little bit unreasonable because you were on your period? And I was like, well, yeah, for sure. And she was like, it's kind of like that. Like whatever you're super mad about at the time because you're just highly emotional or not feeling like yourself, if someone said to you, if you were mad because somebody did something that really made you upset and then they said, well, I think it's just because you're on your period, it would just make you more mad, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I think that that was hard too because you were feeling those emotions underneath everything, but then everything was making you much more agitated than normal. Anyway, there is resolve to this. This isn't like us just like airing all of our dirty laundry, but I do think it's important because... When we started this journey of me trying to figure out how to support a spouse going through trauma and grief, I just was so naive to what the anger portion of it would be or how to deal with that or what was normal and is our marriage ever going to be the same again? So what's been really beautiful on the flip side of this is to see the progression internally and spiritually for you and how much you've changed within the last few months. I mean, I feel like there was a huge change when we went to Hawaii back in May. And then things kind of resurfaced again this fall. And then I feel like you really did the internal work to decide to ultimately forgive. So that's what I'd really love to talk about today. And I think that, first of all, I think that we both equally felt spiritually in line with sharing this today and that this was the message that we were supposed to talk about. But I also think it's so applicable during Christmas for a couple of reasons. First of all, because like I said a minute ago, I think a lot of these family things and relationship things come to the surface when people get together for the holidays or there's ironically like a lot of pressure to have like really magical, wonderful family moments. And sometimes it's just not, sometimes it's hard. And the other reason I think that this is so timely is because it truly is such a gift, not only to the person that you're forgiving, which I think is sometimes where you think like, oh, I I should forgive someone because it's the right thing to do or it's the Christ-like thing to do. But really, it's a gift to yourself. And in our case, it was totally a gift to our family and to our marriage when that was the path that you chose. But you had to really, you had to come to that on your own and it was a little bit like the addiction where when I finally just let go and said, I'm not going to try to control this or 
try to manage your feelings, then you had the freedom to kind of work that out when you were ready to work it out. But I'd love to talk about kind of what you went through to get you there instead of where it seems like you were stuck for quite a while in that anger and frustration part of the grief. It's definitely a process. It's it's almost, it's tough because I know the right answers. Like I know that I totally 100% subscribe to the gospel and the atonement of Jesus Christ. And one of the things we're commanded to do is to forgive others. Like it's not a ask, it's a commandment from Christ. And through, because of the atonement, it covers everything. And so I know the logistics of it. So going into the situation, I mean, right after it happened, I remember just feeling kind of like very spiritually, just on a spiritual high. And it was kind of like, hey, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Like these, they don't understand what they're doing here. And so it was, it was kind of bought, like blocked out as far as anything, and like animosity towards, towards these individuals that were part of this. And I remember being asked that question by one of the news anchors that I did a few interviews with in Utah about the story as it broke. And he's like, do you see yourself forgiving these people? And what I said was like, at the, at the moment I really did, I wanted to say yes. I really did because I knew I believed 100% in the atonement. I believed in Christ. Like I'd been through and seen him work the miracle and my addiction recovery. I knew it was all possible, but I still just, I'm like, I don't think I can unequivocally say that. And I think at the moment it was obviously things were new and there was this element of like, I don't even know what I'm forgiving. I don't even know what happened. Like, I don't know anything other than what just very, very simple details. So it was hard for me to say 100% yes, but I basically said like, hey, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, I know that I can. I can't on my own, but through Christ, I, I can get there. And I felt like it was an honest answer. But I think through the process of it, that's kind of the hard part is I know the answer. And I'm like, well, I should be able to just say yes, but it wasn't that easy. It wasn't just like checking a box or saying one prayer and, and being okay. Like it was a process for me to get there. And I think that process, I think for me, the spirit really had to work on me for a while. And I had to understand, and a lot of the blessings that I got talked about studying the scriptures, studying conference talks. And as I did that, that I would be directed in my heart and my mind to figure things out, to understand more, to grow more. And that's what happened. I think through that process, like, I read a lot of talks, a lot of conference talks that talked about forgiveness and that were really, really helpful and kind of put different pieces together for me. There was a Faust talk that was really helpful about like, leave a, a place for forgiveness open, be open to the idea in your heart. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, okay, I can do that. Like I wasn't ready to pray for, for these people yet at that point. So it was really a progression for me is I guess what I'm trying to say. almost forgot about the blessing part, but there was kind of this totally, it felt like a tender mercy 
like God planned it all moment right before we went to Hawaii where we were at the church building and we happened to run into the missionaries that we had just had over like the night before or a couple nights before. So we knew them because we'd, you know, had them over for dinner and it just so happened that they were available and you asked and they, and one of the missionaries who really, like these guys didn't know us super well. We had had them over one time. He said some really profound things in this blessing. And this is like something that we believe in, in our faith that you have ability to get a priesthood blessing from someone who's a holder of the priesthood. And that it's, it's like God's way of speaking to you basically, or providing comfort and counsel. And so I remember that being like a really spiritually, a kind of a turning point almost of, there were a lot of things said there that felt like, wow, there's no way this kid could have known all of the context and all of the detail to tell you certain things that seemed to really help. But I don't know, was that also your experience feeling like that was part yeah, of no, it totally was. a stepping stone? I, I think I like, like just the biggest deer in the headlights moment for that missionary. Like <laughs> just like this, you know, 18, 19 year old kid. And I explain the situation. I'm like, this is what happened. This is what's going on. Like I'm freaking out. There were just some, some things coming up that were going to determine, I mean, outcomes and potentially sentences and whatnot, the kind of legal stuff that was closing out that I was nervous about. And I was just kind of like, no pressure, man. <laughs> you know, but he, but I think that's all the more reason why it was so amazing is because he said things that there's no way he would have known. A year old kid yeah. wouldn't have like the confidence to say that to somebody in that setting, but it was totally by the spirit. And he said things that were really bold that was just like, basically it's time to, it's time to move, move on and forgive and move past it. And I really, I really felt that. Well, I want to go back also to something you said a second ago about you knew the right answer, but it was hard to actually put it into practice because this is something that Corey Ten Boom talks about in her book, The Hiding Place. And and I actually didn't know this story until I listened to a talk recently and the talk came up like the week. So, so to give a little bit of context you said there were some things coming up. We were going to Hawaii. You were freaking out about it. You got that blessing. Then we went to Hawaii. And while we were there, you had some really just wonderful, profound experiences that helped you to kind of move forward in that progression toward peace and forgiveness. And then at the same time, all of the things that you were like really anxious about ended up getting bumped until the fall. So it almost gave us this like, period of like peace and being able to let go. And then everything kind of came back up in the fall. And right when that happened, and it kind of resurfaced some of your grief too, and anger and all of that, that same exact time, there happened to be, there's a podcast that I follow called Classic BYU Speeches. And there was a professor of mine that was, he was my London study abroad professor. So he was kind of like the father figure for all of the kids that went to study abroad in the January to April of 2005, which was the group that I was in. And so I was like, oh, I know this guy, I should listen to his speech. And it was a speech on forgiveness. And it was so amazing, the timing, 
of listening to that talk and how it provided so many answers and so much clarity and peace for me personally. And I knew that I, you know, had to let you be on your own journey, but it was amazing to me not only to listen to this really, really well-spoken talk on forgiveness, but he gave this excerpt from The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom that helped me a lot to have more empathy and understanding for what you were going through. So Neil and I talked about it before and we agreed that you just have to read this part. So this is my, this is Professor Sal, what he says before her excerpt. He said, in modern history, perhaps no more atrocious crime has been committed than the Holocaust. The systematic murder of millions of Jews, political prisoners, handicapped persons, and others by Hitler's Nazi regime. Corey Ten Boom, a Christian political prisoner, survived the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, but her beloved sister Betsy did not. After the war, Corey traveled the world preaching sermons of reconciliation, peace, and forgiveness. Then it happened. She was called upon to practice what she preached. She records in her autobiography, The Hiding Place, the defining moment of her Christian discipleship. Quote, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself, end quote. So that I mean, that story was super powerful for me to read and to really understand just a little bit more what you were going through. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'd heard the story before, and I think there's another talk that I love that that told that story, and I just immediately resonated with that because it's it's hard. It's hard when, again, like I know the right answers and I know what I should do and how I should feel, but it it's just tough to to get there and to be to be to that point. And I think that just recognizing like it, it took time and it takes time and, and I think wanting to, but I just, the, even the thought of it, I'm like, there's parts in the ARP manual that talk about pray for someone that you're 
need to forgive or someone who has wronged you, like pray for this person, or that's something that pray for someone you're resentful toward. And I'm like, I don't, I can't even get there. Like I cannot even bring myself to pray for these individuals. Like I don't want to. Right. I think that took a long time and, and a lot of it had to do with, I mean, I think the, the legal proceeding part of it is really tough because it just brings up all the grief and then just the nature of it can just be so difficult by way of just how the whole proceedings just happened. I, I had no idea. Um, and so it just makes it even worse. But finally getting to a point in really trying to work at it, feel the spirit, study, like let the spirit work on me and be open to whatever it is and be honest about my feelings and my journey about where I was at with it. Finally, felt like I got to a point where, where it was there and I could do and do some of these things. And I remember like first time praying for these people by name, like the people that were involved in this and praying that whatever blessings God had sees fit to bestow upon them, that, that he would bestow those. And that was a, a big moment and it was hard to start doing that, but I started to do, to do those things. This, this was something that President Nelson had talked about in his, one of his latest conference talks is about forgiving people and, or pray and record your thoughts about what you're directed to do. So that was something that I did. And I noticed it just started to soften things a little bit and it began to be easier. And I think it prepped me to be ready to be in a place where I could allow that forgiveness to come into my heart. If someone is listening to this and they're struggling with something similar, were there things that, I mean, you just talked about getting to the point where you're ready to pray for the other person, but was there anything else that really helped you to finally progress and move forward? Because I know that that was something, I mean, it does remind me of the addiction where it was like there was a period of time where you kind of seemed like you were stuck, where you were like, I don't want to be here, but I don't know how to get out. Then like, what, what were some of the things that helped you to start progressing and moving forward? I mean, there, there was some of like the situation and some of the logistical things that, that began to have some resolve to them. I mean, that admittedly that did help. Like it Mm -hmm. kind of helped get kind of a little bit of closure on some things or getting closer to that closure. But I think then I, I went, our friend Henry Mari has been on the podcast. I, he does some really cool things and he kind of walked, walked me through this guided meditation and he told me beforehand, he's like, Hey, this is, this, this might not be the right one for you. This is really going to be tough, but if you're up for it, I can kind of walk you through this guided meditation process where you're essentially, if you're ready to forgive this person, like we can run through it in this in this guided meditation. And so it was scary to say yes to that, to be in a place where I'm like, can I, could I even do that right now? And, but I'm like, you know what? I think I'm ready. Like, let me, let me just try, try and do it. We walked into this process. He kind of teed everything up and, and set the scenario. And it's a lot of creative visualization and seeing this person come forward and having this conversation with him and getting to a point and, where you you see them differently and and understand that maybe there are a lot of things about them you don't know and maybe they had 
situations in their life that impacted them in a certain way. And that if you could see them in the way that God sees them, that that's their true form. Kind of walking through that exercise to get to that point where I could see them as God sees them was really powerful. Like suddenly I felt what Corey Tenmoon talks about where it's like, there's kindness and compassion and understanding like, okay. It was you know. his understanding and his kindness and his love that allowed you to get there. Yeah, to get yeah. to that point. And then as part of this process that I was going through um, with with Henry, it, part of it, it was like saying to this person, I love you and I forgive you, like saying it out loud. And and I did. And and I think being to that point where I could say that, I never thought that I, I'm like, man, I, I never thought that I could get there on my own. And I think it's a very, very spiritual experience. And, and I felt different afterward. The individual who, who killed my brother, he was sentenced last week. When I got word, I wasn't able to be there just because of circumstances or you being on bed rest. Like it just, I just couldn't be there. But other members of my family that was there, my other, my brother, my half brother Dean was there and was able to speak. And he said to to this person directly like i forgive you you know and and i felt like that was was powerful for me because i'm like man that's what i would have said if i had i been there and the part that you described to me that was most meaningful too was that you that dean said i feel like dave wants would want this he said something like that yeah yeah that dave he felt like dave he was impressed that dave had told him hey we need to forgive these, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he, he kind of got that message a few times. And it's basically what I've, what through various experiences that spiritual experiences that I felt that I'm like, I, we need to do this. And I think it was really powerful. And from what I understand at the, at the end, the judge said something to the effect of like, Hey, I'm not a religious person, but I do feel like forgiving others frees you. It releases you. And it was, sounds like kind of from what I gathered from it, it was just a really powerful experience for everybody and really healing. So for me, I just have felt like so much closure on, on that and forgiveness, true forgiveness for this person and really like oddly, like kindness and compassion and understanding for this person and even a hope. Like I'm like, if anything, Knowing who my brother is, he was so much about development of people and mentoring people and helping. And I know how he is and I know what he would want for this person. I'm like, I would hope that I'm like, man, I hope this guy can just turn it around. Like there's going to be a chance he'll get out. He'll serve 10 to 15 years, maybe less, but he will get his life back. And I'm like, man, I just hope, I hope he turns it around. I really do. And I hope that, that he can turn it into a positive story. And I, I, I genuinely felt that and feel that for him. And, and really, and who knows, like I, I do feel I'm, like I'm to a point where I could directly have a conversation with him and tell him in person, like, hey, I forgive you. And who knows what will happen in the future with that, the report back, if that ever happens. But to go from what I felt before and in some of those dark moments of being just obsessing and just being frustrated and in a really negative place 
to feeling kindness and compassion for somebody who effectively took away a central person in my life, like a really key figure in my life, like my surviving full brother that I was closest to. I, I don't have any explanation other than that's that's God's power, as I believe it. That's the atonement of Christ. And it takes opening ourselves up to that power to be able to do it. Because as Corey talks about, she couldn't do it. Like she wanted her to own. lift her arm and be like, yeah, totally. You know, I'm preaching this stuff and we're doing, we're doing these podcasts and we're talking God, you know, talking about the gospel. I'm talking about the atonement of Christ and how it's totally changed my, my life through recovering from an addiction and how powerful that is and how amazing and all these things. And, and I preach that and it's, it's totally true. It's not, it's not an act. Like I really believe this, but it's like, okay here's your opportunity. Like God's no respecter of persons. This applies to everybody. So therefore this applies to this guy and these people who are part of this, like the same forgiveness needs to be extended to them. That's been extended to you. So it it was tough and it was a process and I wanted, I wanted to do the right thing and I believed in that, but it's taken a lot of time. love to speak to what you just talked about, if that's okay for a minute, from my own experience too, because a lot of people will never go through what you went through. A lot of people will never be faced with something quite as severe or I don't even know the right word for it, as intense as forgiving someone who killed their sibling. But what I do think everyone has to deal with at some point in their life is forgiving other people for feeling wronged or feeling like life wasn't fair to them or another person wasn't fair to them. And the thing that I get asked about the most because we've been open about our story is people who, women who will DM me and say, how did you ever forgive your husband? How did you ever trust him again? How did you ever want to be intimate with him again? How did your relationship ever repair after lies and after betrayal? And so, and if you're for some reason finding this for the first time, Neil and I have been super open about how he is a recovering pornography addict. And so anyway, but to go back to maybe where this might relate to the listener, for whatever reason, if you're hanging on to something or you're having a hard time letting go, I remember before I did the steps that I was always going to be a little bit mad at you for, you know, the times that I felt like you were totally in the wrong. And, and, and sometimes you were like when the addiction really crept up and you were relapsing or lying or whatever. But when I went to go do my steps, and this is what I tell people when they DM me or they send me an email or they want to talk about this. And I say, when I did my 12 steps, they are so intensely to do them the right way. You are so intensely relying on the Savior and on His atonement that you get to this place where you're humbled to the core and there's no more room for, well, 
I desperately need the Savior. I'm a beggar at his feet for his mercy and his atonement and his grace. But I'm still going to hold you hostage for what I think you did wrong to me. Like there's just, it's, it cannot coexist. You can't have both. Because it was such a grueling process for me to go through those 12 steps. In that process too, I had to, especially when I did step six and seven, which I think we're going to do like a mini series on that and explain the steps in a few weeks here. But when I went through that refinement process of asking the Lord to take away my character weaknesses, I knew that that was going to be the hardest one to let go of was that like false protection of if I'm a little bit mad at you, then you can't hurt me. Then that like protects me from being vulnerable. And it's funny what you said, like at the very beginning about like, well, I didn't even know what I was forgiving. Cause there was a point in our relationship too, where I obsessed over, well, how bad was this? Well, what, what were you looking at? Well, how often, how long, how, like I wanted all these details because I thought that that was going to like satisfy some kind of like, keeping score or counting up what you owed me or something. I know that sounds weird, but it was like this obsession of if I understand what you did to me, then I can decide whether I'm up for forgiving you. But when I ultimately came to that point where I was like, okay, if I'm going to ask the Savior to forgive me of all these things and to change my heart and to change me and to help me in these really extreme drastic ways, then I can't sit here and be like, have what what are those little things I'm like imagining those little things that kids count with it doesn't matter but abacus yeah an abacus and be like well let's see how much you owe me you know what I mean and then I'll decide if you if you are eligible for the savior's atonement like it just doesn't work that way so for me in doing that internal work of wanting so badly to have the savior his grace and to have him help me to look at all of my sins and my weaknesses and people that I needed to ask forgiveness from. And I couldn't do it without him. I had to also allow his power to be enough to save you too, if that makes sense. And I think that it's interesting that like, although we have totally different circumstances, that the principle applies in both your situation and in mine, where it was like, you have to get to a point where you're no longer trying to sit there and be the judge of that person's character. You get to a point where you're like, it's, oh, it's actually not my job to sit here and count up your mistakes or count up how much you wronged the world or you wronged me or you wronged whoever. Like that is just only between you and God. And they will, the two people will figure that out. And it's just your happiness and peace hinges on whether you can believe enough that the atonement of Jesus Christ works for everyone. And and that was the turning point for me. And it sounds like it was a turning point for you too. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's It's hard to get there. It is because I think it feels really dark in these moments. Like, and it's hard to just feel that light in those places initially. But that is the very place that you need the atonement the most. And that's the very reason why Christ came to the earth in the first place was for those times and, and to descend below all things. So 
but I, I totally agree. I remember asking you as I was going through this and I was getting caught up in these trying to make sense and understand and what do I not like, okay, what am I forgiving? What did happen? I remember asking you like, did that help you? Like knowing, like, was that once you did find out the details of what I did or whatever happened, like, did that help you? And I mean, I can't exactly remember your answer, but I mean, effectively it was kind of basically no, right? It's a little bit different. We've talked about this. It's it's different with a spouse. I want to validate that because I think for some people to be completely in the dark is not fair if you're in a marriage. Like yeah, that's that's a, a little bit different. Situation. But at the same time, the obsessive part of like I need to understand everything. There's there's like this insatiable curiosity about well, I want to understand everything. And it's like a control factor, right? It's like a, if I understand everything, then I can make an informed decision. And again, it goes back to, are you actually this person's character judge? Like, is that your job? Or is that the Savior's job? Because I think when you get to a point where you're willing to let that go and recognize that it's not your job, that's when you can actually start to really let the atonement of Jesus Christ take over and not try to run the show with, well, I'm going to be the judge. I'm going to decide. I'm going to sit on the judgment seat and and get, gather all the information and then make a decision. Yeah, that makes sense. It's hard. It's hard to get, and it was hard to, for me to get to a place where it was unconditional. Mm. And part of, I mean, through this, guided exercise that I did with Henry, like one of the questions, one of the things that he kind of prompted saying was like, basically, I forgive you for the things that I know and I forgive you for what I don't know. Like, and mm. for me, that was really powerful to say that because the majority of what, the majority is unknown and probably will never be known. But to have, being a place where I felt like I could say that and it was just very freeing and I think it it kind of does have to it does have to eventually be that to to be able to just drop it completely and be like, okay, whatever it was, whatever it wasn't, it doesn't matter. Like the atonement covers it and will cover me and having that trust. But again, I, I just I do want to respect the fact that it like it is not easy. Like even knowing the right answers and knowing Hey, I should, and I don't think it's the type of thing I could put a time frame on and be like, well, after a year, I should be able to do this or after blah, 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 you know, whatever it is, it just took time and it took the spirit working on me to be able to get there. And then I felt like things fell into place and were made available to me when I was ready for At the them. right time. Yeah. Like this exercise that I did with Henry, like there's no way I would have been ready two months ago or right. a year ago or no way. Like, like I had to be a, at a place where spiritually I was like ready to, ready to do it. And, and I think prior to that, I think praying for, for these people kind of, kind of softened me up and prepared me for that. And it, it takes, it's, it takes time. It's definitely a process. And I think it looks different for everyone too, because I've learned that also in recovery. And again, it's not the same. I don't want anyone to be like, wow, she was talking about <laughs> forgiving a pornography addiction versus like, and 
how that affected her marriage versus like killing someone. It's not the same. But I'm just saying that like, this was interesting for me when I got into recovery. I watched certain people and how they dealt with their spouses and the addict and the spouse. And it, at first, I kind of was like, oh, okay, this is the model way. Oh, no, wait, that's the model way. Oh, no, this is how this works. Oh, that's how long it takes. You could watch other couples or other people and kind of think, this is the formula or this is this is the amount of time. And what I came to learn after years and years and years of going every week and listening to it's funny somebody said once it's like the best Netflix series ever where you like come into a lot of people we saw their pilot season and then or their pilot episode or sometimes you come in season two or three or whatever but you see these people's lives unfold because you hear their stories at a really deep level on a weekly basis and you watch things happen in real time And what I learned from watching all these different people's stories is that there are no two exactly the same story. There's different people, there's different circumstances, different spiritual gifts, like a lot of different things involved. And But the beautiful thing is that I think you just said is that God does put those things in our path when we are ready for them. I really believe in that. And I really believe that Everyone is on a different trajectory. I mean, I remember getting DMs from people right after Dave died that were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like my husband wasn't the same person for two years or for three years. And I remember just being like terrified opening those DMs. And now I look back and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't too far off. But at the same time, everyone's progression is going to be different. I, I agree with what you say. Like it, some of these things really do take a lot of time. And it's very circumstantial. It depends on so many factors. Well, going back to that speech that I found at the exact time that I needed, not really because I needed help with the forgiving as much as I needed to have an added measure of compassion for what you were going through. This speech by Madison Sowell, it's called Measuring Flower and Forgiveness. He has this poem at the very end of his speech and I think it's so good so I'm I'm just going to read it really quickly it's it's entitled forgiveness flower spelled f l o u r and it says when I went to the door at the whisper of knocking I saw Simon Gardner's daughter Kathleen standing there in her shawl and her shame sent to ask forgiveness flower for her bread forgiveness flower we call it in our corner if one has erred one is sent to ask for flower of his neighbors if they loan it to him that means he can stay but if they refuse he had best take himself off i looked at kathleen what a jewel of a daughter though not much like her father more's the pity i'll give you the flower i said and went to measure it measuring was the rub if i gave too much the neighbors would think i made sin easy but if i gave too little they would label me close. While I stood measuring, Joel, my husband, came in from the mill, a great bag of flour on his shoulder, and seeing her there shrinking in the doorway, he tossed the bag at her feet. Here, take all of it. And so she had flour for many loaves while I stood measuring. And the power in that is what we talked about before is, are you going to give it all? Are you ready to just really give your heart to the Savior and let Him do the healing? Or are you going to hold back because you still want to hold on to some of the the 
lie that when you hold on to something that it gives you control or it keeps you kind of in a power position when really you're just letting Satan win. Yeah. No, I think that's just exactly right. I mean, I look at Christ as the mediator, like he's often referred to as the mediator, the great mediator. And I, I think that's just it is so much of that. If I take him out of the equation, then it is just me measuring. And I'm like, well, what about this? And the negotiation and is this fair? Is that fair? And what's fair? And you should get this, you should get that. But when Christ is the the mediator and I'm negotiating with him because of what he did and who he is, it's all perfect. So it's, I can negotiate with him and it's perfect. And it's all, it's kind of like, hey, all I need to do is be willing to agree to his terms, which are have faith in the atonement, repent or be willing to change or be open, open to it and be willing to commit and accept him and what he's done. And then he takes care of the rest. And I can 100% surrender the outcome. Like I don't have to worry about is the outcome of what happens to this person going to be fair or not. It doesn't matter because Christ is the one who can perfectly judge because he came to this earth Descend below all things, understands how to overcome all things. He did it perfectly. That's why he can be the perfect judge. So then it's like, I don't need to worry about it. A lot of it is seeing unclearly, you know, we, we see through a, a, a dark glass, you know, as it's described in the Bible, but like, but in the, the eternal perspective and in the long run and in the end of the day, like Christ will judge things perfectly and everything will be made right. And we don't need to worry about once we've agreed to Christ's terms and accepted him as, as the mediator and, and through his power extended forgiveness to another, like you let it go and he does the rest. That's the beauty of it. it and then you allow him to do the healing. Yeah. So I just pulled up this last thought from me. The power of spiritual momentum was the talk that our prophet, President Nelson, challenged people to let go of any conflict. It's, he said, the Savior commanded us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. It can be painfully difficult to let go of anger that feels so justified. It can seem impossible to forgive those whose destructive actions have hurt the innocent. And yet the Savior admonished us to forgive all men. We are followers of the Prince of Peace. Now more than ever, we need the peace only he can bring. How can we expect peace to exist in the world when we are not individually seeking peace and harmony? Brothers and sisters, I know what I'm suggesting is not easy. But followers of Jesus Christ should set the example for all the world to follow. I plead with you to do all you can to end personal conflicts that are currently raging in your hearts and in your lives. And I just have to say, like, it's it's been such a gift for you to finally allow that into your heart. And, and the way that it has changed you, I just, I see your true, like your, your best self being that true peacemaker that you are, like really living that gift that you have of seeking peace and how it's just made you happier. 
it's been a gift to our family, but I think really it's been such a gift to you because you seem to be your best self. Like you're, you're back to who I know and love. So for whoever's listening to this, if there's something like that, if honestly, like if Satan is taking over your heart by having a place for you to hold on to hate or anger or contempt for someone else, let it go. Like give that gift to the savior for Christmas, but give it to yourself too and to your family and to everyone you love that you're around. Because I guarantee you, it's not only holding you back from being your best self, but when you do finally let that go and let the Savior take over, you will be your best self again. You will feel so much. Well, I don't know, Neil, tell me how, tell me how that's felt for you. Yeah, I think it's, I think you're free is the best way to, to say it. Yeah. You really are. There's so much energy and so much of a drain and it's so taxing to carry malice and anger and hatred, like those negative emotions 24-7. And it, and it's there. I mean, you can distract yourself with different things momentarily, but it's just kind of always there looming in the background. And it's just drawing off of you and draining. So to finally, I mean, finally kind of getting to this point recently, like it just feels brain like suddenly energy and life and everything everything's back and it's it's amazing it's because of the atonement thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages make sure you follow us on instagram at mint arrow subscribe to our apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.